Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. The past decade has seen a sharp rise in far-left ideology supported by academia, governments, corporations, and mainstream media. Positions and dogma have developed related to gender, climate, sociology, identity, politics, etc. Meaningful debate and challenge predictably result in being cancelled at best and criminally outlawed at worst. However, 2022 has seen a rise in more conservative perspectives and right-wing populist movements resulting in elections in numerous countries, Japan, Hungary, Poland, Sweden, and Italy, the latter of the two which have not seen a right-wing governing party in two decades. In our own country of Canada, the rise of new conservative leader Pierre Polivier, with historic highs in votes cast, suggests the rise of the right is also occurring right underneath our own feet. NBC mayoral elections in mid-October of 2022 polls yielded a massive turnover of mayors from politically left orientation to that of politically right-wing, and especially so in the greater Vancouver region. Increasingly, we're witnessing people speaking out against far-left positions in the public sphere, and even among some celebrities that have historically identified with the political left, i.e. Bill Maher, Joe Rogan, Dave Rubin, Tulsi Gabbard, Such pushback from center leftists was almost unheard of a mere two years ago. In November of 2022, Elon Musk purchased Twitter to open up the platform to free speech, representing a massive shift from the leftist censorship. Swings between left and right are predictable and occur roughly every 20 years. This is not to suggest that the kingdom of God is at all right-wing. Indeed, the far right offers widespread societal damage, as does the far left. Our Lord transcends all politics. The risk is that some in the church currently feel marginalized on the political right and may soon be tempted to feel militarized and politically aggressive. As a result, this may damage the broader church's prophetic voice. Additionally, widespread assumptions by evangelical Christians that they are primarily comprised of political conservatives will only distance those who hold more leftist views especially so of emerging generations. Well, let's, let's pray to start this off. Uh, Jesus, we come before you, and we ask that you would make your voice heard today that as we come and we talk about politics that can sometimes be um, hard places for us to engage, that your spirit would be moving, filling us with your grace and your love. And in Jesus' name, I silence and bind everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of Jesus right now and declare the lordship of Jesus in this place today. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm gonna need some Kleenexes. Can you, Baron? Could you grab me a few? They're under the seat. I'm at like the tail end of a cold, so I'm gonna do my best to cover my mic if I need to cough and blow my nose and stuff like that. But hold on. Thank you. 
So, when I think of politics, there's two stories from my life that come to mind. The first one is when I was in junior high, I attended a church in the Lower Mainland that would be considered a kind of a mega church. And I remember, I don't remember what election it was, but whatever election, our lead pastor invited every candidate in the riding to come one Sunday morning, not to give a speech or anything like that, but he wanted to honor them for their desire to serve the people and to pray for each and every one of them. So we invited them all, and I think at the time there was conservative, liberal, NDP, and the Green Party, and then maybe some kind of random parties. And the two candidates that showed up was the conservative candidate and the Green Party candidate. And I remember our pastor just introduced them and, and uh, then asked, as this church, how can we pray for you? And the conservative candidate, he, I believe he was a, a believer, he was very comfortable um, with the language and kind of really connected with people. And I remember the Green Party candidate was very nervous, very awkward, but he said, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but would you pray for my family? that they would uh, be protect, protected during this process? And would, would you pray for strength and stamina for me? And so we did. We prayed for the conservative and we prayed for the Green Party. And I think afterwards, the pastor actually got um, a lot of pushback for inviting all the candidates. But what stood out to me, that what cemented in my mind was this greater narrative of prayer for the larger community and the care for all people in politics. That stood with me. Even now I remember it. And then there's another story that is, is different but still cemented in my mind. So I've only been in Alberta for the last probably 12 years, yeah 12 years about, and I remember early on when I came here, I was having a conversation with someone and, and I had mentioned that at the last election I had spoiled my ballot. So I felt it was important to vote because that's something that a lot of different countries don't have the opportunity. So I still wanted to vote, but there was no candidate or party that really lined up enough for me to vote. So I spoiled my ballot, you know, just kind of, I don't know, crossed it, made a check mark, something. And I remember the person's face was looking a little perplexed and maybe a little concerned. And if you know me, sometimes I pick up on things really good and other times things are just like whoosh. So I just like blazed ahead and I started talking about politics in Alberta. And at the time there was a, a, an election, I can't remember which one it was, but I started talking about how I didn't know who I was gonna vote for. I didn't know politics in Alberta. I didn't know the candidates. I didn't know the parties. I didn't know their positions on things. And I said, but so far I wasn't leaning to vote conservative. And this person's face was like horrified, like shocked. And all of a sudden, you know, I had that moment of like, wait a minute, something is happening here that I missed until right now. And I had a thought in my head, and I was, I had not experienced anything like that before, 
And I thought, wait, do people equate Christianity with having to vote conservative? It had never occurred to me before that that was a thing. And I remember having a thought of, oh, this area that I've moved to is different than where I came from. Will I find belonging here? Will I fit in or will I be on the fringes because maybe I lean differently politically? Two different stories, very different. So I'm going to put out a disclaimer today. I'm going to be frank. We're talking about politics, which can be really heated for people. People care deeply. But I'm going to be pointing out some trends that I and other people who are way smarter than me have recognized occurring in culture and the, the political landscape, as well as kind of sometimes the ways that we have believe, as believers have engaged in politics that have not been helpful. So I'm going to ask you this morning to be curious. If as I'm talking you feel defensive, ask yourself, what, what's causing me to feel defensive? If you feel self-righteous and vindicated, be curious, where is this feeling coming from? If you feel like you're getting angry at me, please pause and wonder, what, why am I getting angry about this? This is a topic that I think we need to start being open and curious to how the Spirit is talking about us, talking to us this morning. And so as we saw about in the video, it was talking about the rise in right-wing populism. But I'm not going to be specifically talking about that because as the video mentioned and as history has told us, in 20 years, it's going to swing the other way because it pendulum swings. But instead, we're going to look at and consider what they spoke about at the end. The consideration, the warnings for the church today. And we're going to talk about the greater political landscape, how we have engaged in politics that have maybe not been helpful, and then maybe what's a, a different way forward, one rooted in the presence of Jesus. As I was preparing this sermon, this verse kept uh, coming to me, and I understand it talks about the right and the left. It's not talking about political spectrum, but it still landed. So from Proverbs 4, 25 to 27, let your eyes look directly ahead towards the path of moral courage. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you towards the path of integrity. Consider well and watch carefully the path of your feet and all your ways will be steadfast and sure. Do not turn away to the right nor to the left where evil may lurk. Turn your foot from the path of evil. So, in this first section, we're just going to be talking about a lot of cultural observations, some of the different trends that are happening below the sur surface. And a lot of these observations come from people way smarter than me and who have devoted a lot more time to kind of cultural and, and social um, reality. So one is Mark Sayer. He's an Australian pastor and a culture commentator who just does a brilliant job of what it looks like to be a Christian in a, in 
a society that no longer is Christian. Another one is a book called Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, How to Engage in Politics by an American pastor. And then another one is called Disunity in Christ, and this is by a social behavioral scientist and a believer who talks about um, how our brain works and how it actually doesn't help us when we're dealing with unity things. So, Eugene Cho in his book, Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, said, the state of our politics is a reflection of our souls. And so right now we see in our souls a lot of fear and anger. And so it's no surprise that our politics feeds on anger and outrage, the currency of fear. I remember a few elections ago, I was uh, talking to someone, and I was complaining about all the attack ads and getting emails that were like, we need to stop so-and-so before they destroy the province. And I was saying, man, why can't they be positive? Like, you know, really focus on how you're going to help and fix, not how the other party's going to destroy everything. And the person told me who had some awareness in this area that studies show that people open the emails and give when it's motivated by fear. And the political parties know this. All of them know this. If they can get us afraid, if we can be concerned and riled up, we're going to give money to their campaign and we're going to attend things. They need our anger and outrage motivated by fear to get movement, to get money. And so they do that. Watch, look at the headlines, look at the emails you get from different political parties, and look at their ads. But not only that, Mark Sayer says, right now, there is a political culture of despair. So we have fear, outrage, and despair. And he said, the far right is categorized by resentment, grievances, and rage. And the left is categorized by disdain, self-righteousness, and contempt. Neither resentment nor contempt are fruit of the Spirit, and we should not be engaging in them. Right now, as, as Nick talked about, I think, a few weeks ago, we have increasing polarization. So the people on the left are far, getting farther right, left, and the people on the right are getting farther right. We're getting polarized. And not only that, we're getting tribalized. We're getting into small little groups that have a view of us and them. And the them are never friendly. They're our enemy. And it's fueled by algorithms. Social media is not helping us in this. We see something, then we see more of something, then we see more of something. And our brains don't help us here either. Our brains want to conserve valuable cognitive resources by categorizing individuals into social groups. And then we rely on the information our brain has about those social groups to help us interact with the individual and predict their behavior. So here's an example of, um, of how this happens. Uh, 
few months ago, I was putting my daughter to bed, and um, she kind of paused and said, I bet people are surprised by you, Mom. And normally at bedtime, she likes to bring up things that we can't help but engage in, so then she gets to stay up longer. But this one intrigued me enough that I was like, okay, I'll bite. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, you know what? I bet people see your tattoos, your dyed hair, and your piercings and think you're going to be mean, aggressive, and swear a lot. Her brain, somehow along the way, had said social groups, the people that are tattooed, piercings, and dyed hair, mean, aggressive, and swear a lot. And I said, oh, yes, yes, I I would think that people would be surprised and confused by me if that's that's the information that they're relying on, right? And she also recognized that there might be some surprise for people because it's going against what their brain has told them about a certain group they may have put me in. But not only do we put people into social groups, our brain in an effort to make information as accurate as possible, we create lots of subgroups. And we categorize people by the smallest subgroup. So, it's not just that we're Canadian. It's not just that someone's Western Canadian. It's not that they're Albertan. It's not that they're Northern Albertan. It could be that they're Northern Rural Albertan, and then go based on what our brain has told us about how those people act. But the problem is, during COVID, when we didn't have a lot of face-to-face, we began relying more and more on social media, on our news feeds, on Google, on the email forward, that were telling us a lot of things about different social groups. And so our brain puts that in, And as soon as we hear the indicator that someone belongs to a social group, our brain gathers all that information and starts interacting with that one person, like whatever the large group information we've had. Can you see how that would be a problem? When the algorithms and and our culture is fear, outrage, and despair, it's not good and it doesn't help. And not only that, us as believers kind of bring some other things into the mix too that are not helpful. Sometimes we have gotten the idea in our head that a particular party in power equals the kingdom of God, kingdom of God coming. Don't get me wrong. I believe believers are called, some believers are called into politics to bring the kingdom of God there because they are following Jesus in obedience. However, the church, us. We are called to partner with God and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. A political party in power will never, ever do that. And when we marry a political party to Christianity so tightly that they're actually unable to be untangled, we end up with a Jesus and gospel. It's no longer the gospel of Jesus. It's Jesus and progressivism. It's Jesus and conservatism. 
And what that ends up being is idolatry. Because it is no longer Jesus on the throne, it is Jesus and a particular political party. And then, if we've married this and we perceive uh, one political party as the kingdom breaking in, what then happens is we can dishonor and dehumanize those opposite to us. So if we're on the right, we can dehumanize those on the left. If we are NDP, we can dehumanize those that uh, are UCP. And we can speak in derogatory ways that assume all of the believers in the mit- our midst are on the same political side as us. So it's okay that we're talking about the left or the right like this. But here's the, here's the thing. The they can be us. The they is us. So if ever you've had the thought, they can't be a real Christian if they vote left. Ugh, they can't be a real Christian if they vote right. Stop it. And this might be an opportunity to ask Jesus if, I've, if you've married a political party with your faith. Because we don't want to be the body of Christ with an autoimmune disease, fighting ourselves. And we can push people away from Jesus and our community. If someone holds a different political view than us, and if we've married following Jesus with a particular political bent, we can push people away. And we can end up joining a culture of fear, outrage, and despair. And we don't want that. And so some might take the approach then of, okay, you know what, then I'm out. Let's just disengage completely from politics. If that's how it's going to be, I will just focus on Jesus and nothing else matters. But I don't think that's a viable option. Because politics matter because that informs policy. Policy affects people, and people really matter to God. So I think as believers, we are called to engage in politics. But I think we need to engage in politics with the mind, attitude, spiritual sight, and priorities of Jesus. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have our mind being transformed by something that is not fear, outrage, and despair. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As we allow God to transform our thinking, we will move from fear, outrage, and despair to Jesus thinking. How do we do that? 
Well, I think Paul helps us out here again. In Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If your engagement with politics is mainly around conversations about the problem with society today or the problem with culture today or ranting about whatever other side, ranting about them, you are training and forming connections in your brain. Every time we engage in uh, repetitive thought behavior, it strengthens the neural pathways. And what ends up happening then is you are transforming your brain with complaining and criticism. Fear, outrage, and despair is transforming your brain. Is that lovely? Is that pure? Is that honorable? Is it true? No, we want our brains to be transforming to be more Christ-like and not steeped in fear, outrage, and despair. We also need to engage with the mind of Christ in his creativity and beauty. Oh, Jesus, would you rekindle our imagination in politics that goes beyond, for, and against as I was preparing this sermon, I was reminded of a word, a prophetic word that came um, out of one of our prayer and worship here. We asked Jesus, what do you want um, Beaver Lodge Alliance to know at this time? And it was from 2021. And this is what someone had submitted. <coughs> we worship the creator of the universe who spoke all things, all creatures, even life into existence. Our world needs solutions to difficult and complex problems. Know this. Creator God still speaks. He will declare solutions that have never existed before. He is doing a new thing. If we hold on to our old for and against us and them, we won't actually be open to hearing the Spirit speaking new ways to offer hope, love, and power to the world around us. We also need to have the attitude of Jesus. And I think as the, the Western church, we need to loosen our hold on maintaining or getting cultural power. Historically, through the ages, as if you take a big picture, Christianity has always flourished when we are the good losers. Christianity Today did a statistical analysis of a global sample of 166 countries from 2010 to 22, and they found that the most important determinant of Christian vitality is the extent to which the government gives official support to Christianity through their laws and policies. However, it is not the way devout believers might expect. As governmental support for Christianity increases, the number of Christians decline significantly. 
This relationship holds true even when accounting for other factors that might be driving Christian growth rates, such as overall demographic trends. So what this means is, is sometimes if we're so focused on maintaining or getting governmental support for our beliefs, and we're putting energy into that, anecdotally and statistically, what ends up happening is we actually become ineffective at carrying out the Great Commission. Our vitality as, as believers, as followers in the way of Jesus, declines drastically. We might need to change our thoughts on what it looks like to carry the light and presence of Jesus in our culture today. We also need to have an attitude about other believers which lines up with the attitude of Jesus, which is centered around what Jesus has done. Galatians 3:28 For all for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes There is no longer Jew nor Gentile slave nor free male or female my addition right or left for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we need to hold to the belief that our identity as members of the body trump all other identities. If we keep that, if we refuse to allow our brains to subgroup all of different believers into us and them, for and against if we refuse that and just hold to the larger thing of we are all the body of Christ, this fights. This fights, fights against the tribalism. It fights against the subcategories. It fights against the dehumanization that can occur between believers because our identity is that we are all a part of the body of Christ. So not only do we need the mind of Christ and the attitude of Christ, we need to have the spiritual sight of Christ. We need to remember that as we're engaging in politics, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the far right. It's not against the far left. It's not against them, whoever your them is. And Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. There are evil spiritual forces at work in the political system today. On the left... I've seen a political spirit that joins with a spirit that attacks identity, and it's ungodly. On the right, I've seen how a political spirit and a religious spirit join up together, and that's ungodly too. And so that's something we need to keep in our minds, that no matter where we fall on the political spectrum, whoever the them is, whoever we perceive we're fighting against, we're not fighting against them. We're fighting against the spiritual forces that want to come to 
kill, steal, and destroy. We need to engage in politics with the mind, attitude, and spiritual sight of Jesus. We also need to have the priorities of Jesus as our priorities. And what are they? Well, the specifics of how they played out is something that as believers we need to wrestle with between us and God, us and our community, wrestling what the specific details look like. But in general, we know, if we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Trinity really cares about the marginalized, those that are pushed to the edges, the oppressed, the vulnerable. It's all over scriptures. We see it in Isaiah 1.17. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of the widows. And so one thing we know is that sanctity of life matters to God. And sometimes we can pare down sanctity of life to just relating to the unborn. But here's the thing, sanctity of life applies to the unborn, applies to those that are born in poverty. It applies to people struggling with abuse. It, it applies to people that are stuck in drug addiction. It applies to people who are elderly. It applies to people who have terminal illness because all are created in the image of God and God deeply, deeply loves and cares for us all. And both ends of the political spectrum do this well in some places and fail in some places. And so we cannot profess blind loyalty to a political party, but we actually need to evaluate all parties. Every election, we need to come and say, okay, Jesus, what, what are your priorities? What do you care about? Open my eyes and look at the different political parties to see which one lines up as best as possible with the way of Jesus. No political party will line up completely because a political party is not the church. So I will out myself here. I'm prob I probably land probably center left. And every election is not an easy decision for me, except for the last provincial election. But I look at all the candidates and all the platforms and I pray and I don't go in having my mind made up simply because of a party. Every election should be hard work for us as believers. Taking the time to read, ask questions, engage in a wide variety of information from all different parties, and prayerfully coming in with community and with Holy Spirit to vote as best as you can. Because standing up for what we believe is right and in the way of Jesus is required. I think that's something we're called to do and needs to be done in a way that respects all people that have been made in the image of God, clothed in love, not engaging out of fear, outrage, and despair. Because that's the way of the world and we're not called to conform to the way of the world, but we are called to be transformed by God, clothed in Jesus, in his attitude, in his mindset, in his priorities, and with his spiritual sight.
So how do we move? What are some things that we can do? If we realize we operate sometimes in this not the way of Jesus, how do we move to more the way of Jesus? Well, there's a few things here. First of all, a question to ask yourself. Or if you're really brave and can hear answers without getting defensive, ask someone else. Some of us, including me, is that sometimes tricky to not get defensive. But here's the question. When we talk about politics, does my behavior and posture change? That might be a good indication for you that something maybe isn't quite lining up. There might be some spiritual actions you need to take. Maybe you need to confess and repent of maybe the ways that you've engaged or thought about people engaged in politics. Another thing we can do is actively pray for and bless the political leader opposite to you. In 1 Timothy 2, it says to pray for our leaders. And so, if you find that really challenging to think anything positive towards someone on the opposite side, pray for them. Ask that they would encounter the love of Jesus. Pray protection for their family. Bless them to know that they are deeply loved. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their healing. Pray for their deliverance. Pray for them. Because as we pray and bless them, we're transforming our mind to be more like Jesus. Because we're not saying, oh, they're blank, blank, blank. They're an idiot. They should die. As I've heard believers say about people made in the image of God, But when we pray and bless those opposite to us, we are walking in the way of Jesus. And then finally, in conversations, because this is political season, there's an election coming up in what, two weeks, I think? And so there's a lot of conversations maybe that are happening around politics. Here's two questions, and this is from Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk, that book I referenced. Two questions as you're coming to conversations. Help me understand what you believe and what brought you to those conclusions. Because as we ask those questions and actively listen, not just kind of jump in with an argument, it fights against judgment and accusation. It fights against the social categorization and stereotypes we make. And it brings curiosity and allows us to see each individual person not just a political party or political beliefs. At the end of the video, it warned us that those that are more right-wing might be tempted to get politically aggressive in response to cultural trends. Us as a church, we may lose our prophetic voice. We may alienate our sisters and brothers who vote differently than us. Let us choose a different way the way of Jesus, engaging in politics with love and respect, engaging in politics with the mind, attitude, spiritual sight, and priorities of Jesus. And that's what will bring change. Not engaging with the culture of fear, outrage, and despair. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we just acknowledge. I just acknowledge that sometimes when we get talking about politics, I have trafficked in fear, outrage, and despair, which is not of your kingdom. And so we just confess and repent that today. And we ask that you would help us see with your eyes, with your mind and attitude and spiritual sight. Would you show us how to walk in a new way, Jesus, that brings change that you want? We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.